So as Kevin said, we are continuing our series on prayer. I feel super loud right now. Sorry. Uh, we are continuing our series on prayer this morning. Uh, and what I'd like to do is I'd like to begin by asking you to consider this. I'd like you to consider that prayer, uh, that the purpose of prayer is to increase our faith in what God can do. I'll say it again. The purpose of prayer is to increase our faith in what God can do. So prayer then is not me coming before God and saying, God, help me to do this thing. Instead, prayer is saying, God, help me to believe that you can do this thing. Yeah, do you see this? It's not, God, I need to accomplish this. It's, God, give me the faith to know that you can accomplish this. Yeah, so I want you to hold on to this because we're going we're gonna to dig into a passage here in 2 Thessalonians. So grab a Bible if you have it. 2 Thessalonians. And we're going to look at this idea that the purpose of prayer is to increase our faith in what God can do. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible this morning, just put your hand up and one of the ushers will bring you one. Just put your hand up if you need one. Second Thessalonians chapter 3. In the blue Bible, it's page 1190. Page 1190. Second Thessalonians chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. It says, As for other matters, brothers and sisters, pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored, just as it was with you. And pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil people, for not everyone has faith. But the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. We have confidence in the Lord that you are doing and will continue to do the things we command. And we have here another one of Paul's prayers coming at the end of another letter written to a church. We've looked at quite a number of these. And what I think we're going to see together this morning is that over and over, Paul takes an opportunity to remind us that the purpose of prayer is about increasing our faith in what God can do, not asking God to help me to do something in my own strength. So let's, look, let's begin by looking at um, verse 1. So in verse 1, uh, Paul asks the church to pray for him, for us, he says, talking about himself and the other people working with him. He says, pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored. And we read this, pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly. And perhaps what we're, we're tempted to think, or what we might assume, is that what Paul is saying is pray that I am able to share the gospel. Pray that I'm the one who can go out and tell people with confidence and boldness. But actually, I don't think that's what he's saying. He does say pray for us, but he says that the message of the Lord may spread. He doesn't say pray that I may spread the message of the Lord. He says pray that the message of the Lord will be spread. There's an implication that there's something apart from Paul that is causing the gospel to spread. Now, I don't normally bring up the Greek because it's not necessarily super helpful, but in this case, I think it is. Because if you look at these words, pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly. Those words may spread rapidly, that actually in the Greek, the word there is run. So what Paul is literally saying is pray that the message would run and be, and be honored, be glorified. 
So Paul, in essence, is personifying the gospel. He's, he's, he's almost creating a picture that the gospel, that the word of God, takes on almost human characteristics in that it does the action of running. Uh, Paul frequently uh, uses the idea of a race, the image of a runner in a race of Olympic athletes. And so you get here almost this similar picture that the gospel is almost like a runner in a race and that as the gospel goes out and it runs at the end of a race, when the runner completes the race and they've accomplished their purpose, then the runner receives glory and honor and crown, right? And so we have this picture that the gospel itself, as it does the work that God has said the word will do, that the gospel will then, at the end of the race, be glorified by those who receive it because they will see the work that the gospel has done. So God receives honor. So Paul then is saying, pray for us that we will have the faith to know, to believe that God's word can do what he says it will do. Right? It's Isaiah 55, 11. Isaiah 55, 11. Uh, God says, my word will not return empty. Right? We, we read about the parable that when a seed is planted into the ground, it will return a harvest. Now, I want, I, I'm stopping here a little bit longer for a moment because I want you to understand that I think this has the power to impact not only our prayer, but the way that we choose to live. Think about this. If my prayer is God, help me to share the gospel myself with my friends. And the reality is that if you're like me, you may not be. You guys are all probably much better Christians than I am. But for me, I start to work out the end of this and start thinking, well, I hope I can share. I hope I can say the right thing. What if they ask me something and I don't know the answer? And I can't really get people to change their minds because I have people that I love very much and they do not love Jesus. And no matter how much I tell them about my faith, they don't want to hear it. And so I know that no matter what I say, ultimately, at the end of the day, I can't make anyone believe anything. I don't have that kind of power. That's not who I am. I'm not God. And so if I'm coming to God and saying, help me to do this thing, then how motivated am I really to do this thing? Because I know at the end, if it all depends on me, how can it possibly happen? Or instead, do I come before God and stand on the faith of what he has promised to us and say, God, help me to believe that what you have promised is true. If I am convinced that when the word goes forth, it reaps the harvest. If I am convinced that a seed planted in a ground will absolutely bear fruit, if I am convinced, then it doesn't matter what I can see. It doesn't matter what I can physically do because I am convinced that God is faithful to his promise. And so when I pray then, I'm not praising God help me. I'm saying, God, help me to believe that you can do this. God, help me to believe that the message will run. That your word is powerful and active, and therefore it cannot fail. So the motivation then, what would you do? Have you ever heard those questions? What would you do if you knew you couldn't fail? When we pray the promises of God and we seek to live according to those promises, then we're literally given the opportunity to say, what would you do if, what would you, do if you knew you couldn't fail, if God had promised it? And so the purpose of our prayer then is to increase our faith in what God can do. 
that Paul begins by saying, let's pray that we will have the faith to believe that God's word will do what he said it will do. Let's look at the second one. If you look at verse 2, he continues on. He asks them again. He says, pray that we may be delivered or rescued from wicked and evil people, for not everyone has faith. So Paul could be speaking generally about evil people, about people who come against you when you seek to share the message. But most likely he's talking about a specific situation that's happening um, to him while he's in Corinth. If you've read any of the, of the other uh, letters of Paul, there's letters in Corinthians where he talks about people coming against him, attacking him. So there's a specific situation that's happening, but he's identified something. Again, he says, let me just get the words right, pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil people. He doesn't say, pray that I can find a way out of this situation. He doesn't say, pray that I will figure out a way to do this. He says, pray that we may be delivered. You're getting an English lesson on, you know, who has the action on the verb here. Paul is not the one doing the action. This word delivered could also be translated rescue. No one rescues themselves. Paul cannot rescue himself. So there's the implication then that Paul is asking, pray that I will have faith that God will rescue us. This is at the heart of the gospel. This is the heart of what we believe, that we come before Jesus, recognizing that our sin has put us in a dangerous place, and we say, Jesus, I need you to rescue me because I cannot rescue myself. This is the heart of what we believe. And so when we come before God in prayer, the purpose of coming then is to increase our faith in what God can do. And I believe that Paul emphasizes this point. Look at, uh, at the end of verse 2. He says, for not everyone has faith, right? For not everyone has faith. Not everyone believes in the message of the gospel. Not everyone believes what Paul is teaching to them. So the end of verse 2, not everyone has faith. Verse 3, but the Lord is faithful. Not everyone has faith, but the Lord is faithful. What is he faithful to do? He will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. So there's an intentional play on words here at the end of verse 2 and the beginning of verse 3. Other people may be faithless. Other people may reject the gospel, but God is faithful. I can't rescue myself, but I don't, re- I don't rely on my ability to rescue myself, that my prayer rests on the knowledge that God is faithful, that he can protect me, that he can rescue me, that he can do the work. And so in the midst of situations where I feel as though I'm coming under attack, in the midst of those moments when you think I cannot bear up anymore, we are not resting on our own ability to just grit and get through it. That we're resting on the knowledge that God is faithful. When the rest of the world is faithless, when no one else can be counted on, when other people are coming against you, God is faithful. And so we pray that God increases our faith, our belief that he is able to rescue us. Are you with me? Yeah. One more. Verse 4. He says, we have confidence in the Lord that you are doing and will continue to do the things we command. We have confidence in the Lord that you are doing and will continue to do the things we command. So throughout the letter, both before and after this section on prayer, Paul's been giving them some instructions. This is how you live as a Christian in the world. This is what it looks like to live as Christians as a part of the body of Christ. 
And he says, I have confidence that you can do it. But he does not say, we have confidence that you'll live the way God has called you to live because you can do it. Because you're totally capable. He does not say that. He says, we have confidence in the Lord. Paul's confidence that that the church and, and us, Paul's confidence that we're able to live this way is not our ability to be perfect Christians. It is not our ability to follow every rule. It is not our ability to just be good. It has nothing to do with what we can do. Instead, he says, his confidence is in the Lord. It it echoes uh, Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. He who began a good work in you will will, uh, bring it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That God begins the work. That it is God who works in us. The only reason that we're able to follow Jesus, the only reason that we can be obedient to the things that God has told us to do is because God works in us. Paul says, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. We die to ourselves because we can't do it. So the purpose of our prayer is not God, help me to make sure that I'm good enough to do it, but God, help me to believe that you won't start something in me and not finish it. God, help me to believe that the work that you're doing in me, you will bring it to completion. That God, you will work in me and help me to follow you. I can't do it, but you can. The purpose of our prayer is to increase our faith in what God can do. What that means is, if we're going to pray this way, then we've got to ask God to keep his promises. Essentially, when we're praying this way, when we come before God, what we're doing is we're asking God to keep his promises. Three times, Paul asked them to pray in such a way that they would ask God to keep his promises. Right? He says, ask God that his word would not return void. He's promised it, so pray and ask God to give us the faith to believe that his word does not return void. Ask God to give us the faith to know that he is the one who rescues us. Ask God to give us the faith to believe that he completes the work that he began in us. So here's the question that I have. We'll we'll kind of wrap it up on this idea, but I I want you to think about this because, I don't know about you, but it leaves me with the question, if God's promised it, if he said he will do it, and he said that he is faithful and trustworthy, then why do I need to keep asking him to do it? Why can't I just sit back and say, well, God's promised it, so have at it. It's all yours. Why do I need to get involved in that process? That's the question that I ask. Now, I want to think about a a scenario uh, with you for a moment and see if we can come to something that's helpful. I want you to imagine a mother and a child. Uh, And maybe this mother, maybe this child comes to the mom and says, Mom, can we get some ice cream? And mom says, not right now, but I promise we'll get some later. Not right now, but I promise I will take you to get some ice cream later. Now, here's the question I have for you. This is a perfect mom. (laughs) None of those exist, but this one in our fake scenario is a perfect mom. She always keeps her promises. She never gets too busy and forgets that she made the promise. She always, always, always does what she says that she will do, and the child knows it and believes it and says, I know my mom will do this. Now, let me ask you this. This perfect mom who always keeps her promises looks at her child and says, I promise you that we will get ice cream later. How many of you believe that that child, having 
received and believed that promise will never again mention the ice cream. And we'll just patiently wait for mom to keep her promise. No one raised her. Of course not. That mom is going to hear about that ice cream over and over and over. But she made a promise. Why is this child going to keep bringing up this promise? Well, there's lots of reasons. Perhaps the child comes back to mom and says, Mom, when are we going to get the ice cream? Because he's not sure. Maybe she forgot. Mom, when are are we going to get the ice cream? Well, maybe the child comes back because it's been a long day and the hours are ticking by and they're looking up at the clock and they're worried, what if it's not going to happen? And so they come, Mom, when when are we going to get the ice cream? Do you see the time? Or maybe, and probably very likely, that child is just so excited. This is the best promise ever. Mom, when are we going to get the ice cream? Because I'm so excited for you to keep your promise. The reality is that mom makes a promise, but that child will not stop coming back and saying, Mom, what about your promise? What about your promise? What about your promise? I think that prayer is a little bit like asking mom about ice cream, if I can simplify it that way. That sometimes we come before God and it is essential that we pray the promises of God, that we ask God to increase our faith in his promises because sometimes we're just not sure if he's remembered. Our circumstances make us think maybe he's forgotten us. That God has promised his word doesn't return void, but I have people that I love. And God, it doesn't seem like anything's happening. And so I pray before God and I say, God, you've promised that your word doesn't come back empty. That there will be a fruitfulness. There will be a harvest. God, have you forgotten? Sometimes I pray his promise because I'm wondering if he's forgotten. He hasn't, just like mom hasn't forgotten. He's a good God. He's a good father. But sometimes I need to pray the promise because I need him to say, no, child, I haven't forgotten. I haven't forgotten. I do keep my promises. Sometimes we come before God praying because it seems like it's been a long time of waiting. We feel like we're under attack. And the burden that we walk through, whether it's life circumstances, whether it's people coming against us, there's all kinds of things that happen. And the burden feels heavy, and I think, I don't know if I can wait any longer, but we come before God and we say, God, you have promised to rescue me, and it feels like a long time, and I'm not sure you're still coming. And God says, yes, child, I promise I'm coming. I will rescue you. You don't have to go through it alone, but we pray God's promises because sometimes we need our Father to assure us that, yes, he is coming to rescue us. Sometimes we're just excited. Sometimes the promises are just so good that we just have to come before our Father and say, God, you've promised that you're going to finish this thing. God, I don't know what you're doing in me. My life is something that I never thought. God, I moved to England and I'm preaching in a church. God, I'm so excited for you to complete this work that you've begun because who would have ever thought I'd be here? God, you promised that the people that need to know you were going to come, that they're going to respond to your word, and I'm excited. God, I'm excited that you keep your promise. I want to see people baptized at the pub in Highfields. 
God, I'm excited. Look at what's happening in Nepal. God, look at these children whose lives are literally snatched out of the hands of death, that they're brought into hope and life and life. God, I'm so excited for you to keep your promise. Prayer is about increasing our faith in what God can do. And so we come before him and we, we declare his promises. Maybe we're excited and we can't wait for that to happen. And we say, God, you've promised this and I cannot wait. Let me play a part. Sometimes we need encouragement. Sometimes we just need to know he hasn't forgotten. And so we come before him. But we always pray, declaring the promises. So when you get those emails from Alex or if you you hear somebody say to you, here's a scripture, maybe this helps you in your prayer. What we're really saying is this is a promise that God has made to us. And we know when we pray the promises of God, we're on solid ground because this is something he has declared he will do. And so we use that scripture to inform and to give us the words to pray because this is what God has said he will do. It's what he's promised us. And so I don't come before God then praying, God, help me to do a bunch of things. Instead, I come and say, God, help me to have faith that you can do a bunch of things. But the worship team, uh, uh, no, the worship team is not going to come up. We're going to have communion in just a moment. But I want to close this in prayer. And as I do, I want you to think about what are the things that God has promised you? What are the promises that you're clinging to right now? Well, perhaps what are the things that you've been praying for to do in your own strength? And instead, you need to recognize what has God promised about the situation? And how do I rest and pray into the promise? Let me just pray for us. Jesus, I just lift you up in this place. I thank you that you are a good God. Your word says that you long to give good gifts to your children. I thank you that you've told us that if we humble ourselves and pray, if we turn from our wicked ways, you will hear us. I thank you that you have promised that if we draw near to you, you do draw near to us. God, your word is a love letter filled with promises to your children. Help us to rest on those promises. Help us to be eager to come to you like a child who is excited and desperate for your promises to be true. God, help us to long to come before you in prayer. Not because we want to be strong enough to care for ourselves, but because we want to increase our faith. We want to be motivated knowing that we cannot fail when we rest on the promises of God. Because you are faithful and trustworthy. God, and I thank you for the promise you've made that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, that you have promised that because of what Jesus did on the cross, we can have life eternal. Help us to find hope and healing in that promise this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.